HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Roth, Wisconsin, makers of the world's best cheese and pioneers in the U.S. artisan cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, this is your host, Dana Cowan. Welcome to the premiere of Speaking Broadly, a show where brilliant women in the food world share stories about their lives and careers that provide lessons and inspiration for anyone looking to succeed in any industry at all. My very first guest is Christina Gerdevic, the Managing Director of Travel and Leisure and Food and Wine. We worked together for 18 years while I was Editor-in-Chief of Food and Wine. When we first met, Christina was an event marketing manager, and she rose through the ranks to be marketing director and then publisher of Food & Wine for 10 years, and now she's added travel and leisure. I used to joke that she made all the money through ad sales and partnership, and I spent all the money on editorial. Working with Christina was like having a smarter, funnier, tougher big sister looking out for you every single day. Welcome, Christina. So happy to have you. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. So at Food & Wine, then Travel & Leisure, um, you've been charged with bringing in the revenue. Can you describe the various ways in which you approach this job that may be unique to you? Or like, how do you make all that money that I got to spend? Sure. I mean, I, it's funny. I, I remember you always saying that, and I would sort of be standing next to you and rolling my eyes a little <laughs> bit, thinking, I spend lots of money. I spend lots of money. <laughs> I um, and I, I make the money, but I spend the money. And it's changed, obviously, so much over the last 20 years, which I can't believe it was, uh, it's been 20 years. But in the beginning, you sold print ads into the magazine. That was primarily, you know, there were lots of other little things, but primarily you sold print ads into the magazine. The more ads you sold, the more pages you could run, and that was that was kind of it. Um, 
and then uh, the World Wide Web came on the scene, right? Remember we had that one publicist, WWW. Right, that one publicist who told us it was the worldwide waste of time. <laughs> I, won't, I won't name any names. Um, seems like it's going to actually stick around, though. Yeah. And, uh, and then we started selling some digital advertising, and we were lucky enough that we had the Food & Wine Classic in Aspen. So at the time, in the very beginning, it was an event where people went and they enjoyed it and we sold some tickets, but then we turned that into a really big revenue maker, um, not just as a, as a P&L and a profit center, but to sell advertising against it because advertisers wanted to be at the Food & Wine Classic in Aspen. So I think that was the beginning of creating other revenue sources and then other people started getting into the event game and we saw that was another way to do it. And then obviously the story goes on, so I don't want to jump to the end. So I'm I'm curious about the classic because of course you know I'm the one who always went to bed early and you're the one who always <laughs> stayed up late and I mean what did I miss like what what are some of the behind the scenes like your favorite behind the scenes uh, moments of the classic Oh my gosh my favorite behind the scenes that's I, I don't I don't think I have I don't think I have one but you know I sort of. I mean, for the for the listeners, though, they should know that I would always stay up later, and you would go to bed earlier, regardless <laughs> of what our jobs were, right? Like if we were going out tonight, I um, I just I just like to stay out later. But uh, I think a, a big part of the success of the Food and Wine Classic, you know, we've obviously talked about this a bajillion times, but it was um, because it was Aspen, so it was beautiful, uh, because we were surrounded by talent, and that's because you know you and the team made sure that we got all the best chefs and the wine experts and the cookbook authors. But then um, the real behind-the-scenes secret to success was the complete obsession with every single detail. And so, you know, Devin Padgett from Dev Inc. and, and our marketing team, and um, we just never lost sight of every single detail. And that's, you know, I think that's what the success is. So I know I didn't answer the question, but... Um, but actually, you j- jumped ahead to something that I think is one of your secrets to success, and I think you have many, but one of them is your obsessive... Um, questioning and concern for the details. Like, I remember I I once emailed you and I misstated, I don't know how I could have done this, but the name of the the (laughs) class. And I got an email back in 30 seconds. Is it possible? But let's talk about your obsession with details. Like, where does that come from? And how do you carry that out every day? And how can everybody learn from it? Because I do think that it is, you know, part of... uh, like what you do every single day that makes you so successful. Yeah, I um I you know, it makes me sad to see that people don't have as much of an obsession with details and I think it's because, you know, everyone is everyone's moving so much more quickly and and just the way we communicate, it's sort of, you know, the fact that it's acceptable to send an email or a text and then at the end of it it says excuse the typos because of my big thumbs. Like I, no, I say no, I do not <laughs> excuse them. And although for those people that are, are will listen and know me, they're super laughing now because I am the biggest, the worst autocorrector in the entire world. Um, and I know there's a whole, you know, website or blog, um, dedicated to people's messed up, uh, autocorrects, but I'm definitely, uh, I'm, I'm guilty of that. But my obsession with the details, I think is a, is a combination of 
being around a lot of really, really good people. So before I was at Food and Wine, um, the job I had directly before Food and Wine, I worked for an advertising agency, uh, Kirschenbaum and Bond, that's now KBMP, and I it was my first favorite job. I had a bunch of less favorite jobs before that, but I even <laughs> remember going on the interview and I couldn't even believe that I was in uh, the waiting room because this agency was so cool and every single person there seemed cool and smart and I, I was just excited to be on the interview. And so in the several years that I was there, um, I was in the PR and promotions department, but I worked with all of the media planners and account planner account um, managers, and they were all very, very, very detailed. And it was, you know, back in the day when every time you had a meeting or a conference call, you wrote a report, and the report was very, very detailed. And there was there was no room for mistakes; like nobody accepted a mistake. So I think that's where um, that's where it started. And. It continues to, I think you're, you're questioning, like anytime I would propose something to you, I'd say, you know, Hey, I have this really amazing idea. And you'd be like, sounds great. I have a thousand questions. Um, yeah, so, which I think I like that you're putting a positive spin on that. Cause I feel like sometimes people <laughs> think if you have too many questions, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to poke holes in it or, um, which is not my intention, right? My intention is to make it work and make it great. So, um, but I should also say, you know, my obsession with the details and attention to that also comes from, you know, being around people like you and editors, because, you know, while I get that now, if there's a mistake on a website, somebody can fix it or a mistake on a blog or an e-newsletter, but in, you know, in the printed pages of a magazine, there's no room for one little tiny mistake. So, um, being around that for so long has been great, you know, has been great. I think it also builds trust with the people you work with, like the sponsors and the advertisers that they know you're not going to ever let any detail go. But let's talk about the questions. Like what is the role of all this questioning? Is it just that you're, you know, you're curious or you think that for anything to work, you have to ask like 95 million questions. I think, um, I think the way I, the way I do it in my head is I try to like, I try to actually think through exactly what's going to happen. And then as I'm thinking it through, I think about, you know, okay, well, what happens when we get here and what happens when we get here and who's going to handle this part of it. And the funny thing is I realize that I do a remarkably good job of it. Um, in my professional life, but then inevitably, you know, I'll be going on vacation or doing something that is, um, you know, for my personal life and I'll, I'll get somewhere and, you know, I'll not have, you know, like I was renewing my son's passport and I didn't have the check, you know, it said in 17 (laughs) different places that you had to bring a check. And of course, when they said, why don't you have a check? I was, I was mad at them, but it was completely (laughs) my fault. Okay. That shocks me because really everywhere you go, you have a folder. Well, as it turns out, I did have a check in my wallet, so it was fine. But, um, (laughs) okay. I'm I'm feeling better. I'm feeling like I know you again. Um, another one of the things that you live and die by, I feel is, you know, love this job, love this team. And already in our 11 minutes together, you have described, you know, it's not just you, it's the team. So I'm, I'm curious to understand, what do you think the best way to build a team is? Because you have built an extraordinary team. And then how do you not micromanage them? Or do you? So um, thank you. I um, I think the thing I'm probably most proudest of is uh, having built a team that's done so much good work and uh, loves what they do and loves each other and is proud of what they've done. And, you know, so many people that have gone on to do other things have left and said, you know, I'll always look at this as this was the best team I've ever been on. And, you know, obviously you hope that people will go and be on other great teams, but 
they could be the second best team they've ever been on. Um, <laughs> so love this team, love this, uh, love this job, love this team. You know, I love that it came out of a completely accidental um, thing. I didn't mean for it to catch on, uh-huh. and uh, it was. Um, let's see, it's two thousand two. It was, I guess, six or seven years ago. And every year when we go to the Food and Wine Classic, I would write a note to the staff and leave it in their rooms. And, you know, I would labor over it. And what can I say? And I've been doing this for so long. How could I possibly say something different? And I brought the letter with me. So at the end of the letter, it says... Um, a big thanks to every single one of you who worked so hard and so tirelessly to make the, this the number one culinary event in the country and the number one place to work. Thanks for making this my dream job. Now, let's do what we do best. Work hard, play hard, and enjoy your food and wine. And then I very nonchalantly wrote, love this job, love this team, XOXO. And I felt good about it. I did it because it felt right. And then it caught on. And people would send notes, and they would write at the bottom of it, love this job, love this team. And, um, you know, Sonia, who you know is more obsessed with the details than anybody, um, made us temporary tattoos. And when she left Food & Wine, she made us glasses. So now it's got a – it has a whole life of its own. And um, and I mean, it feels like – it feels like a, a hashtag around which, you know, a whole lot of people could organize. Anyone who has a team and a job that they love, it really, it's a great way to u- unite people and everybody at Food Wine really signed on for it. But so did other people you worked for. Yeah, it's pretty, with it's you, pretty special. So obviously you can't just, you know, go to work tomorrow and say, hey, let's love this job, love this team. You have to start with, um, no, I don't think you should micromanage people. I think... Um, I think you should know what they're doing and stay involved and be engaged. But I think um, I think a lot of our success, you know, both of us when we're at Food Mine was uh, letting other people do what they do best. And especially in this world where like everything's gotten so much more complicated and everything has more elements to it. So um, letting people run and manage a whole project is really, really important. And then I think in terms of how do you build a team? I think you have to start by hiring people that you really like. Uh-huh. And I know everybody doesn't agree with this because sometimes people say, well, no, you just have to hire the right person for the job. But, and you're not creating a dinner party. You're creating an office. And- yeah, but you know what? I have to spend a lot of time with these people. Not only am I in the office with them every day, but I'm going to travel with them. And, um, you know, I used to say, you know, who is it that you would want to talk to at the cocktail party? Mm-hmm. But the real test is who do you want to be stuck in the airport with for nine hours? <laughs> and right, because that's going to happen. Yeah. And you don't want to be dreading that you're stuck in this airport. So, um, you know, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. And I think not only do you have to like the person, but they also have to be the right fit for the team because all these people, you're not going to be talking to them or hanging out with them every day. They're going to be with each other. And so they have to like each other, respect each other. Um, and then I, I feel like this sort of answers a different question that you may or may not ask, but I think, (laughs) and you know, lots of people say this, right? Surround yourselves Surround yourself with people that you can be proud of. Um, so this past year uh, at the Food and Wine Classic, my, my note, you can imagine, right? After 20 years, you're like, oh, my God, what am I going to say? <laughs> and so I told the, in the note, I told this story about how at my... Um, my wedding shower? Yeah, my wedding shower, uh, someone had bought a book and passed it around and said... Uh, write a piece of advice for the bride. And so um, my father, not paying attention at all, wrote in the book, I wish you all the happiness I have with your mother. Right? Super sweet. It's not advice, but it's super sweet. And then on the next page, my mother, not really knowing what my dad had written, wrote, um, always be proud of your husband. And I don't think... 
you know, on that day, I realized how important that was. And it's, I mean, so for everybody listening, it is actually probably the best marriage advice anybody will ever give you um, because it sets you up for all kinds of other greatness. But, um, and I'm happy to report that I've also been married for 20 years. But um, if you if you apply that to your workplace and, and surround yourself with people that you're proud of, you know, you get somewhere. I think that's such incredibly uh, good advice. And I think, what are the qualities, like the, aside from likability, do you try to balance, you know, outgoing, not outgoing? Do you try to, like, is there anything in putting a team together where there is balance? You know, super strong, super detailed, very verbal, very detail-oriented. Or- yeah, I think, um, I think, I don't think you can put those criteria on because I think you'll have a really hard time um, finding them. I think I, I have always tried to find people that don't all have the exact same experience. So, you know, you didn't always want, all people who had come from magazine brands or, you know, it's nice to have a mix of people who came from agencies or client side or, you know, other media brands. Um, and then I think ultimately it shakes out that you have some people that are more social and less social and more organized and less organized. Although everybody needs to be organized to a certain extent. (laughs) And honestly, your team, they're all pretty darn social. So, um, well, I, I love taking a break, even though it's my premiere show. I already have um, a pattern in mind, which is to take a break from us talking and for my guests to read something that inspires them or is important to them, um, just to like have a momentary interlude. So um, we're just I'm going to turn it over to you, Chris, to share something that is important to you and talks about sort of su- success. Um, in life and work. Okay, so it might be too long, and so if you have to cut me off at some point, that's okay, and people can go Google it and listen to the rest of it. Um, and it's not something new. It's um, it's an old... Uh, um, somebody had given a, a, a commencement speech at a college, and then uh, the, the screenwriter or screenplay, uh, Buzz Lerman, turned it into a song. So m- many people have probably heard it at some point, but I... Um, rediscovered it in my soul cycle class, uh, which I know this all sounds completely ridiculous and doesn't sound like it's going to be great advice or it's going to be compelling in any way. But I actually think that the advice in here is really, really good. So I'm going to skip the beginning and I'll go right here. And Dana, you know, I talk really fast, so I'll, I'll read it a little bit on the quick side. Um, Enjoy the power and beauty of your youth. Oh, never mind. You will never understand the power and the beauty of your youth until they've faded. But trust me, in 20 years, you will look back at photos of yourself. I'm just ad-libbing here. Uh, We always say, like, you look back and you wish you were, um, not you, Dana, because you've always been super slim, but you look back and think, I wish I was as skinny as I was when I thought I was fat. Um, (laughs) So, um, and recall in a way you can't grasp now how much possibility lay before you and how fabulous you really looked. You are not as fat as you imagine. Don't worry about the future or worry that... Know that worrying. It's an effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. The real troubles in your life are apt to be things that never crossed your worried mind. The kind that blindside you at 4 p.m. on some idle Tuesday. Don't be reckless with other people's hearts. Don't put up with people who are reckless with yours. Floss. Don't waste your time on jealousy. Sometimes you're ahead, sometimes you're behind. The race is long, and in the end, it's only with yourself. Remember compliments you receive. Forget the insults. If you succeed in doing this, tell me how. Keep your old love letters. Throw away your old bank statements. Stretch. Don't feel guilty if you don't know what to do with your life. The most interesting people I know didn't know at 22 what they wanted to do with their lives. Some of the most interesting 40-year-olds I know still don't know. Get plenty of calcium. 
Be kind to your knees. You'll miss them when they're gone. Maybe you'll marry. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll have children. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll divorce at 40. Maybe you'll dance that funky chicken on your 75th wedding anniversary. Whatever you do, don't congratulate yourself too much or berate yourself either. Your choices are half chance. So are everybody else's. Enjoy your body. Use it every way you can. Don't be afraid of it, what other people think of it. It's the greatest instrument you'll ever own. Dance. Even I'm going to stop you there. I like dance. And with that, <laughs> we're, we're going to go to a commercial break. And we're going to be right back with the rock star Christina Gervich, who has such incredible advice on um, marriage, apparently, <laughs> um, as well as having an incredibly great career. And this one's called Awake by ULA. We'll be right back. Have you tasted the world's best cheese? Grand Cru Sirchois is the 2016 World Cheese Champion. Our partners at Roth, Wisconsin, make this gorgeous alpine-style cheese in the rolling hills of Greene County, Wisconsin. Grand Cru Sorchois is produced by hand in Swiss copper vats and finished by aging on spruce planks. The quality milk and careful craftsmanship bring out the award-winning light floral notes, nutty undertones, a hint of fruitiness, and a mellow finish. Perfect with Riesling and Muscat, Grand Cru Sorchois is a guaranteed hit for any occasion. Check out their other offerings at RothCheese.com. You'll discover Buttermilk Blue and their newest release, Prairie Sunset, the golden-hued love child of Mimolette and Gouda. You'll also find recipes like the Raclette Reuben and Tomato Tartlets. Everything you need to know about the world's best cheese is at RothCheese.com. Welcome back to Speaking Broadly. I'm here with Christina Gerdevic, and we are talking about uh, what it's like to be a, a publisher of a magazine, big brand, food and wine, travel and leisure in this day and age. And, you know, how do you get to be so successful and how do you maintain success as she has for over 20 years? I always think somehow it comes back to mom and dad. I don't know why, but... Um, I kind of do. So your mother is an extraordinary uh, personality. You're a pretty extraordinary personality. I just I have to feel like there's a connection. But is your uh, do you want to talk a little bit about you know your mom and um, what she does in the real estate world and in what ways she could indeed be a great role model and what you learn from her? Sure. So. Um I'll say, hi, Mom. She's not listening now, but I know she will, and she'll be like, what is she talking about? Um, so growing up, my, uh, my dad worked in the same factory for his entire life, my, you know, my entire childhood, his entire life. He, uh, left, he left the house probably at 5 o'clock in the morning, so we didn't see him in the morning, but then he was home by you know, 4 or 5 o'clock, so we always had, as we called it, supper at 5 o'clock, and you know, we sort of thought that was normal. And my mother had many part-time jobs that she would definitely tell you were jobs, but in fact, if you look back on it, I would say she actually had 
you know, she was a career woman. She probably wouldn't call herself a career woman. She was um, a bank teller. She was a Tupperware lady. This is my favorite. Wow. Did you not know this? No, I didn't know that. This is my favorite one because technically, if you think about it, right, maybe that's where my sales background comes from. Clearly, Chris. Right? And she was a very successful Tupperware lady. And... um, you know, Did you the, have sell Tupperware in your house or at other people's houses? No, you went to other went people's to houses, houses and because right. Dana, I'm sure your mother didn't host a Tupperware party, but um, you would go to other people's houses and host the Tupperware party. And the reason I knew she was successful is because she got the paneled station wagon. No which way! Was, yes, oh my God, and I love that. Um, on the antenna was little Tupperware midgets that you know you can imagine as a kid you're sort of devastatingly embarrassed by this, but it was always easy to find our car in a parking lot and. I um, I sort of enjoyed it. Like I would help her stamp the catalogs and pack stuff up, and my brother and I would always be in the back seat of the car when she was delivering things. Um, so she did that for a while, and then um, I don't exactly remember the the um, chronology of it, but she uh, got into real estate and she sold real estate for a very long time, and then. When my father retired, she decided she wanted to be around more, so she became a real estate appraiser, which is you know, probably one of the most interesting jobs somebody can have because they can talk to anybody and they always have interesting information. You know, and inevitably she would call me up and be like, hey, I was just at Dana Cowan's house. Do you want to see the floor plan? And, um, <laughs> and so that was interesting. She's actually sort of semi-retired now. She may go back to it. But uh, the point is that both my parents always worked really, really hard. And even though, you know, they were there for us all the time, like we, we saw them every single day and we hardly ever had babysitters and we always, you know, took vacations together. Um, but it was extremely clear to me that you just, the way you succeeded was you worked very, very hard. And so I think my brother and I both have, um, a, a very, very deep work ethic. Um, you know, even though we obviously do very, very different things, but, um, I think that's what we got from them. Because your brother is... My brother's retired army. Yeah. He um, now he he does some civilian things, but um, also like very successful in what he does and or did and and does and um, you know very very different than what I do. But okay, so it's it's hard for me to um, the. Uh, you are one of the hardest working people I know. I mean, we would exchange emails at, <laughs> I would say, like 11.30 at night and then, uh, you know, 6.37 in, in the morning. It's, you have a, a round-the-clock metabolism for work. Uh, but you also have a supreme confidence and enthusiasm and sort of a balls-out approach to all of it. <laughs> and I'm just curious, were you always so confident. How does someone grow that confidence or how do you believe that they grow that confidence if it's not sort of inherently within you? Um, That's a really, uh, that's a particularly good question because um, I do feel, you know, balls to the walls confident most of the time, but, you know, full disclosure, you know, I question myself, obviously, you know, about everything, you know, I think about all the things that I, I might be good at, but then I can think of, you know, an equal or larger number of things that I'm not good at, or that I don't know, or I haven't learned, or, you know, I'm always, I'm always beating myself up for not reading enough. Hmm. Like, I just feel like there's just not enough time. And, um, there's so many things that I need to be doing better. So I don't know. I mean, it has to come from, has to be like a gene, right? But I don't know how. So I don't know how. Yeah, I feel like I've been like this all the time. <laughs> People are just, I always wanted to know. I'm like, wasn't there some time at which you were like, 
oh, this is just not going to work out. But Yeah, oh my gosh, all the time. So many things. Okay, so then so- how do you get around that? Like, how do you, you know... What do you draw up from within you that helps you get around that? Oh my God, this is so not going to work out right now. Yeah, I think um, I think it's a you know I think we can sort of tie everything together here, which is um, surrounding yourself with people that can help you. You know that you feel that you are you feel are good at what they do and they can um, help you get there. And you know which can be not just the people that you work with, right? It's your friends, your husband, your parents, whoever it is. Um, and then and then just working really hard and figuring it out because. You know, it's not like in our case, it's not brain surgery, right? right. So, yeah. right. we don't. Yes, you you don't need um, an advanced degree. So, um, you are working in the area of food and travel, lifestyle, and I feel like part of the reason you're so successful is you love those things so so much. Uh, but do you feel like you could equally sell financial services, or you could equally sell, you know, floor tile? Uh, I think I could if I had to, but I wouldn't enjoy it. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, to your point, um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it's what everybody always says, right? If, you know, find what you love and then pursue that and you'll never work a day in your life, um, which is a bit of an exaggeration because it definitely feels like work. (laughs) Um, but it's fun, right? You, you like the people, you like the people that you work with, um, at, at your office, you like the people that are your clients. Yeah. You like the people that you know we consider talent. So in the food world, the chefs and the wine experts, and in the travel world, it's you know the travel advisors and the the, the ministers of tourism and the hotel GMs. So yeah, it's I I can't get enough of it. I can't get enough of it. I think it is a really excellent point you're making though about not just liking the people who you've hired, but going into a business where you like everyone you're dealing with, because not only are you dealing with your own team every day, but you're dealing with your clients every day. Right. And you're dealing with um, making them happy. It's much easier to make other people happy if you care about them or care about what they care about. And I don't know that a lot of people go into work thinking, how am I going to... like how important that actually yeah i mean that's a that's could be. that's just a lucky you know in this case i can't say that i sought that out but yeah. um it's a it's it's a you know part of it's good and of course like i'm not going to say that every you know every meeting's not a dream come true and right. of course there are difficult clients just like everybody has you know difficult meetings difficult days um, so let's talk about that because i think that uh one of the problems that you solve and you're such an amazing problem solver is the difficult client and so how do you what is your strategy with dealing with the difficult clients because that at the end of the day leads to the sale right if you yeah. if they get under your skin or you get mad at them uh it's not going to work yeah i think i think it goes it goes back to you know you start with trying to figure out what their what their goal is and helping them accomplish the goal we um uh we're doing something like, how can I tell the story without revealing who it is? We're, do, we're doing something at Food & Wine right now where um, a client is being pretty unreasonable. And, uh, you know, you, you want to say yes to everything, but you literally get to a point where you're like, actually, we can't. We can't. That's not true. You could do it, but you don't think it's the right thing to do. So you, you do have to draw the line, and you have to determine when you draw the line, how you draw the line, who communicates that you're drawing the line, mm-hmm. and why. So, you know, it probably, if you need one answer, it probably comes to uh, communication mm-hmm. and making sure that, you know, you're being fair 
And, you know, if you go all the way back to one of the things we said in the beginning is um, not micromanaging, but being engaged. And so you can't, you know, as the as the leader, you can't necessarily just show up and then try to solve the problem. You have to have been involved enough that you you know the history, you know the people and that when you call somebody, they know who you are, you know, and they care what you think and they respect you and you can um, be part of the solution. Uh, I think. That idea of being a sort of um, in the Robin sidecar along with the Batman person driving um, is a sort of an interesting, uh, interesting analogy. It was a piece of advice I um, I got probably before I was publisher, um, and I, it was from our old publisher. Mm-hmm. And I thought that I was doing the right thing by not looping her in when I had a problem. Mm-hmm. And I remember it so clearly because I, I got annoyed with her and when she, you know, was part of a, one of the, you know, one of your performance reviews. And she said, um, you know, you're great at this, that, and the other thing, but what you really need to do is you need to pull me in sooner when you're having a problem. And I remember thinking naively, well, that's, you know, that's stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. And, um, but then it took me a while. And then when I understood it, I, I, it's for all those reasons I just described that she couldn't be helpful if I brought her in at the end, but she could be helpful had she known it didn't mean she was going to get, you know, in the way or she wasn't going to let me do my job. But, um, that was a, that was a good lesson to learn, I think. So if someone was going to start today in order to grow up to have your job, where would they begin? You know, what would uh, what would it take? And what would sort of the dream final job is like? Maybe the dream final job is being managing director of these two brands. But maybe the dream job today, if you're following the marketing um, sales line, is a is a different job. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's uh, that's actually a question I don't know the answer to because. Uh, the media world, I mean, obviously the whole world is changing so rapidly around us, and it has been, but it's changing now at a, at a faster speed. But the media world is probably changing faster than other businesses. So while you can keep up with the food world and you can keep up with the travel world and the wine world, um, the media business is is different. And so I actually think uh, the jobs are going to be different and um, so you have to do all the things that we've talked about, right? You have to work hard. You have to find something that you care about. Um, you have to work with people that you like and surround yourself, you know, and be proud. But um, you have to learn all these things. I came up through marketing, which is a little bit untraditional. Um, you know, you can come up through sales, you know, ideally. I, although I sold before I was at Food & Wine, so it's not like I, never, I had some really, really sad sales jobs. Um, <laughs> but... Um, so I think, you know, you try to do everything and you learn as much as you can from everybody along the way. But you don't have it like what that you know, 21st century job is maybe because it's gotten so um, it's all shaken around so much. Yeah, I think the path is different because, you know, there was a time when if you were the publisher, you had done all the jobs leading right. up to publisher. Right. But now. I haven't done a lot of the jobs of the people either on my team or teams that, you know, are adjacent to us because those jobs didn't exist. Right. You know, like I didn't have a chance to be a sales planner because there was no sales planner because there was no Internet. (laughs) But that's just (laughs) Um, one of the things that you are completely brilliant at and, um, you know, will go on forever is the partnerships. Because I do feel like the world of partnerships is exploding and some of the brilliant things that you conceived uh, were FWX, which was the millennial sister. Um, do you want to 
just talk a little bit about, um, I guess quickly, about, you know, how do the best partnerships come together and what's the role of, of intuition and... right. I mean, the best example of that one, if I can, I mean... Yeah, I, James' I, example. The be, which one? I can change the example. Yeah, no, the best example, um, well, because the FWX one is easy, right? We thought of it. We worked on it together. It was you and me. Like, yeah. that was... But the, the best one is Top Chef, because um, Bravo called and said, you know, we want to do this TV show. We want to do this reality TV show where we're going to vote a chef off every week. And I 100% remember thinking, this is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. But, <laughs> um, you know, in my defense, let's remember, this is... I don't know, it's probably 2005, 2004. Um, You know, the only reality TV shows on TV are like Survivor and maybe half a season of Project Runway, right? So people didn't, it wasn't like reality television was around and certainly nobody thought it was going to stick around, right? It seemed like it was a trend. And I mean, you and I were getting proposals every week from all these different, uh, all these different places, production companies. And so we took the meeting with Bravo and it was a combination of how they presented it, how they were so professional, um, you know, the fact that they were owned by NBC. Uh, they seemed like our kind of people. So we I remember the idea that Tom Clickett was associated with, well, if Tom said yes. Yeah, that's definitely a, um, a really, really big part of it. So, so um, you were sniffing it out. You were asking her 1,000 questions. But th- these were other sort of boxes to check, like who's the owner? How real is it? Does yeah. it feel like it's going to... And it, it also felt like, it still felt like it was risky, yeah. which I know, I can't, I can imagine anybody that's <laughs> listening to this is like, oh yeah, sure, that was so risky, but it really was. And I mean, you remember the for even the first season, like the challenges were different and um, the chefs were slightly different, but, um, you know, the structure was different. Tom wasn't a producer on the show. He was, right. he was just the judge, um, you know, bringing him on as a producer obviously gave it a lot of credibility. But um, I think what we, what we did was we, we weighed the risks and the risk wasn't that bad. Right. The risk was, well, we'll be involved in a show that, you know, might go away like that wasn't such a big deal. So that was a good one. Um, I I remember, um, of course, at the time trying to figure out who should interview, you know, who should go on the audition for casting. And I, you know, spend a lot of time talent scouting. But you also spend a lot of time talent scouting. And you are the one who identified, you know, Gail Simmons, <laughs> the potential of Gail Simmons. You're so. welcome, Gail. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about that at all? Like, Yeah, I mean, it was, um, right, you couldn't do it because you had to be out of the office for a month, so right. that wasn't going to be an option. And then you identified um, a handful of editors because that seemed to be the obvious thing to do. And basically the day or two before, they said, you know, the more people you send, the better your chances are because we could have done the partnership without having a judge on the show. And um, we looked around the office and Gail was doing a marketing job, but she had done some television. She had worked for Daniel Belude. She had worked for Jeffrey Steingarten. So she had real cooking chops and it seemed like a good idea. And so obviously the rest, you know, we sent her on the casting and the rest is history. It's, it was brilliant casting on, on your part. And then you also uh, hired Justin Chappell on the on the marketing team, and he's turned out to be... I did. I wish I could totally take credit for that, but that was really Dila. I mean, I supported it, but um, Dila Koberstein, who runs uh, runs the Food & Wine Classic, she um, hired Justin, and but I will say I was in a very, very early adopter yes. of Justin Chapel, the mad genius. Well... Uh, on the editorial side, we often went fishing on your side right. for, for talent because they were extremely well trained. They worked really hard, as you did. You know, no one was like, "I want to leave it." 
seven o'clock, God forbid. So, um, yeah, the, the training for your team was fantastic. Um, well, let's talk about, uh, you know, paying it forward. I find you to be an incredibly inspiring person and just watching you work and the, I've learned so many things from you. Maybe over, that's why I'm so confident because you're so supportive <laughs> <laughs> over the years. Um, and I take those lessons with me, you know, I wrote all my questions. Would I do that for everybody? No, but I'm so not turning up to not have my questions printed out um, to talk to you. But uh, there are probably people who you also find uh, inspiring. Something about them is something you want to adopt for yourself. And I haven't decided, and we've discussed it, whether Hall of Dames is too awful a word. (laughs) But uh, for for today, we're going to say, do you have someone to propose for uh, speaking broadly's Hall of Dames? So I do. I mean, I have, um, I have like some. I have some obvious ones, but you asked for slightly um, less predictable, right? So I mentioned Gail Simmons. Like Gail would be a very obvious one. Um, you know, Neelu Matamid, who you know um, is the editor in chief now of Food and Wine. But um, a place where I uh, get a, I don't know if I get more inspiration from anybody, and she's probably going to think I'm a crazy stalker, but. Um, my soul cycle instructor, Stacy Griffith, and you know, I go to lots of soul cycle classes, but she's my favorite and I literally will follow her around. Um, I don't know if she'll ever be able to do the show because she has a one o'clock class on Wednesdays. The reason I know that is because sometimes I sneak out and take a class in the middle of the day because I'm that obsessed with her. Um, she has a book coming out in February called two turns from zero, and it'll be a mix of talking about, you know, training and healthy lifestyle. But she, um, is, she, she's all about being inspirational, and she. So, what up, about it? Like, what of her message resonates so much with you? You know, that's a, there's something about I don't know. I, I think I think the reason I keep going, and I've been going for five or six years, which you know I've never had any kind of a workout regime that I've stuck with for that long, is because I feel like I'm always like figuring it out and uncovering it. She's um, she's you know she's happy and passionate and enthusiastic, and she's in great shape and she seems really smart and she says smart things when you're in the class and she's dancing and um, she seems to be both um, she seems to be both uh, fun and uh, really successful you know professionally she's more than a soul cycle instructor she has um, all kinds of deals and you can you know read a column that she writes it coincidentally timings motto um, so yeah there's my there yeah there there's my girl crush uh, obsession <laughs> um, nomination that's fantastic well that's how we're going to end our very first uh, speaking broadly thank you Christina for uh, joining me here in, in Bushwick at Heritage Radio Network. My pleasure. Congratulations on your your premiere. <laughs> Thank you. And looking forward to having all you listeners back next week, next Wednesday, 12 o'clock. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. 
Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.